0: I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of making healthcare work better for older people and their families. In this episode, we are gonna talk about something that I know is a common concern for many people, and that's what to do if you're worried about someone else's memory or thinking. The most common situation that I hear about is people worried about a parent's memory or thinking, So for this episode, I'm going to use that as an example. I'm going to say that you're worried about your dad's memory, but I know it also comes up when people are concerned about a spouse or sometimes a sibling, if they're of a certain age or sometimes a friend, there are many different situations in which we can be worried about someone's memory. And sometimes we're even worried about our own memory. What I found over the years is that people often, one, they delay in doing something Two, when they take action, they're not entirely sure what to do. And then three, when they go and see a doctor, they don't get help that feels really constructive to them. And they don't even get help that, you know, if we were to review the chart, we would say was the optimal management. So I wanted to do this episode, one, to tell you a little bit more about why I think it is important to take action and two, provide some suggestions on how you can do so most constructively. Because often when we have a better idea of what to do, it becomes easier to do it. And then I'm also going to tell you what should be done at that visit when you bring uh, your parent to their primary care doctor to get evaluated for the concern of memory and thinking. And hopefully that will make it easier for you to get the care that's most likely to be helpful. Let me start by, by talking a little bit more about why I think it's important to do something. I think often people don't do something because it's such a tricky subject to bring up with your parents. People worry that their parents going to get upset or sometimes they've actually tried to bring it up and their parent has been a little resistant or defensive, uh, which I think is understandable. I think, you know, I would feel defensive if somebody started um, telling me that maybe I wasn't thinking the way I used to. It's a topic that's frightening to families, to older adults themselves. And I think often what people are worried about is that maybe it's Alzheimer's disease or a related dementia. And briefly, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. And dementia is the syndrome of having a permanent change in your memory and thinking skills such that you're not able to manage your life tasks the way you used to. So people may think it's Alzheimer's or another dementia, and they may think there's nothing to do, it's not curable. Or they perhaps aren't thinking it's Alzheimer's, but they just think that these memory problems are just a normal part of getting old. And so people don't take action. But actually, I would say that even though it is often quite difficult to bring it up to an older relative and to get that evaluation rolling, I think it's important to take action. And there are several reasons that I think you should know about First and foremost, you should know that often when an older person uh, starts having more difficulty with memory and thinking, it may not be Alzheimer's. There are actually several common health problems and also medication side effects that can worsen an older person's thinking and memory. So it's really important to identify those early and try to treat them. That way we can help an older person have the best thinking possible. Furthermore, these common health problems that worsen thinking are actually quite common in people who have Alzheimer's. And so even if you think it is Alzheimer's or they've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it's important to identify those because that's part of optimizing the person's mental function so that they can make the best of their life for right now. And, and also doing that often can help slow down the progression of the disease. And we know that certain types of medication, actually, that dampen brain function, not only dampen it short term, but have been linked to a speedier decline over time. So that's one important reason. And that sometimes is a way to approach a parent about it is not to say you need to get checked for Alzheimer's, but it's to say, well, I've heard that there are a number of things that can make thinking worse. Let's go see if the doctors can help us investigate it and find those so that you can feel better and think better and be able to remain as independent as possible. So another reason to take action, if it is Alzheimer's or another dementia, which, which often it is, not always, but often it's good to know that sooner than later. Um, finding out sooner enables people, uh, families and older adults to plan ahead and to do that planning, hopefully at a time when the older person is still able to participate in a very meaningful way, hopefully as fully as possible, outline what they'll want for their care later uh, when the disease has progressed more. It also means that a family can learn sooner rather than later, coping skills to cope with the various challenges of the disease. Some of it is, you know, one's own feelings about it, some of it is how to respond in the most supportive, effective way when the older person whose memory isn't so good is is anxious about something or is repeating oneself. So it's it's much easier to learn those skills once you have a diagnosis or a likely diagnosis. And then last but not least, safety is often an issue. So it's fairly common when an older person is having memory or thinking problems for them to be having some difficulty with driving or with finances or whether or not they're having difficulty. Families often perceive them as having difficulty with those activities. And those have important safety implications, both for the older person and sometimes for other people around them. So especially driving is an activity where if an older person is having difficulty, not only are they at risk for themselves, but it's putting other pedestrians and motorists at risk. Finances, if the person is having difficulty, that's a huge risk for being exploited or even if nobody has purposefully done something to take advantage of them, for losing money that is often needed later on in life to pay for one's care or that perhaps the older person would have preferred to pass on to family to do something else with. So even though it's, it's hard, taking action when you notice those memory and thinking problems is important for, for all those reasons. So now, very briefly, before I go through what I recommend you do when you notice that you're concerned about memory problems, I wanna say that I know that often the older parent resists help or is reluctant to go and get help and that that often feels like a huge hurdle for families. That's a big topic, and it's actually a bit outside the scope of what I have time to do in this episode. So for today, I'm not going to address it very much, other than to say that often when an older person is resisting help, it's not uncommon for there to be some underlying cognitive impairment. So I think it's especially important to make that effort to investigate and get help. But I realize that it can be very challenging to get help when an older person doesn't wanna see the doctor or doesn't wanna talk about how their memory or thinking has been changing. So we won't go into it in any depth today, but in a future episode, I am planning to cover this topic, and I'm actually hoping to invite one of my colleagues who specializes in this, such as one of my social worker colleagues or one of my geriatric care manager colleagues, because they often are deeply involved in that process of working around an older person's reluctance to get evaluated and to get help. Okay, so moving on to what you can do if you're worried about an older person's memory. Overall, the goal is to move from your vague feeling, or maybe it's not so vague, of, you know, something's wrong or what's happening or why is this happening, you want to move from that to really crystallizing, is there a problem and what is it? What's the problem? What are the problems that we're observing? And then you want to get help from the health professionals in determining what's causing these problems that we're observing. Can any of these causes, and I say causes because often there are multiple things that are kind of driving it, can any of these causes be fixed or reversed or at least improved? And having that information makes it much easier to address the other question or concern that is often underlying all of this, which is how do we support this person, our parent, and make sure they're, they're safe to the extent we can without imposing too much on their autonomy? How do, we, how do we support them in living the way they want to live while respecting their goals and priorities? Or are we going to have to start exploring that trade-off where we consider their safety versus their independence or autonomy. And to answer that, you really have to start with, well, what exactly are you observing? What might be causing it? So let's start with the first part, how to sort of figure out what you're observing and what the problem is. So what you want to do is you want to be sure to gather more information to clarify what you've been noticing and to check for important safety concerns. And what I really recommend that people do to start is to have a journal where they can write things down as they pop into their heads or where they can write down specific observations. And I encourage a journal because I just find that often people come into the doctor and say, well, I'm concerned about this or I've, I've noticed that, but then they have difficulty sometimes remembering specific examples or they're not really sure when it started. So start a journal, I personally find it easiest to use something like Evernote. I use that just for my personal life and my work life, not my medical records or health information. But I use something like that because it syncs between different devices. So I can start a note on my phone and then find it later on the computer. I can't lose the notebook. It can be shared with other people. So I like a program like that. But some people are really pen and paper kind of people. And if that's what works for you, then Then go ahead, keep a notebook, write it on the pen, maybe try to take a picture every now and then, or hopefully not lose it. So, first, start some kind of journaling record keeping and write down everything you've noticed when you think it started. Next, there are certain specific types of behavior that research has shown correspond to whether a person is or isn't likely to have Alzheimer's disease. Um, There's actually a list of eight behaviors, and it's been studied with caregivers. I wrote an article about these for A Place for Mom, and I will post a link to that article in the show notes, so you can look at that article to see these eight behaviors described in a little bit more detail. Briefly, they are having poor judgment, having decreased interest in leisure activities, repeating oneself, having difficulty learning something new, forgetting the year or month, difficulty managing money or finances, problems with appointments and commitments, and daily struggles with memory or thinking. So it's not mandatory, but if you're looking for a place to start in terms of documenting what's been concerning or wondering how worried you should be, working with that list of eight behaviors and asking yourself, how many of these have I noticed or how often do I notice them? When did they start? That can be helpful. And if you don't live near your parents, be sure, or even if you do, it's great to ask other people who are in close contact with your parent, whether that might be the other parent, other siblings. If they're in a facility, people who live in the facility, like staff in the facility. So you can get a little bit more information from them. If you're unsure about whether what you're noticing is normal aging or more worrisome, the Alzheimer's Association has a nice page called 10 Warning Signs of Alzheimer's. And what's good is that for each sign, they illustrate an example of the problem sign and then a counterexample of what's the kind of normal aging version of something similar. And so I think that can be helpful to people. And then last but not least, you definitely want to make note of any safety red flags, such as difficulty with finances, difficulty driving, difficulty with medications, and then um, sort of personal safety issues like wandering or leaving stoves on. And you want to spot those because they might help you figure out how urgent it is to take action. And they are also signs of where your family and your support team might want to intervene to help the person remain as safe as possible while the evaluation is going on. If you want a little bit more guidance on checking older people for common health and safety problems, I did create a quick start guide to checking older parents. It's posted on my website, betterhealthwhileaging.net. And I created that partly to share with families the mental checklist that I go through myself when I'm meeting somebody new. And I've been asked a question like, should my mom still be living at home, I partly look for signs of what are they struggling with? What are the most important safety and health red flags? And so that guide kind of summarizes those. And so you can use that too. So that covers the first part, which is, again, just documenting your concerns and kind of keeping track of things over a few weeks if, uh, if you want to really crystallize what are the concerning symptoms or what kind of safety issues am I most concerned about? So next, you really are going to need to get a clinical evaluation and help from a doctor. So now let's talk about that initial medical evaluation. So generally, this should be doable by your parent's primary care doctor. And first off, I recommend that you or your parent let the PCP know ahead of time that you're asking for a visit to help evaluate memory concerns and that you would like for the doctor to check for health problems that can worsen memory or thinking. I also really recommend that you send the doctor a short letter summarizing your observations. So what's been a problem or has been concerning, when it started, how it represents a change from your parents' previous abilities. And I suggest you send it ahead of time in writing and that you also include a little information about how your parent is feeling about getting evaluated. I guess you especially want to mention if, you know, my parents really resisting this and gets upset every time I mention it. That's especially helpful for for doctors to know. Now, the doctor can't share your parents' protected health information with you unless she already has your parents' permission to do so. But there's no law that prevents you from contacting the doctor on your own to relay your observations and concerns regarding health. Now, here I am telling you I recommend a letter. I have to say, I've almost never gotten a letter from a family member beforehand. The most common situation for me has been people grabbing me you know, in the hall before I go in the room to whisper things to me, or sometimes people call ahead of time. And they do this because understandably, they don't want to upset their parent by speaking about what they've observed right in front of the parent. But I do recommend trying the letter writing approach because uh, a couple reasons. One is that you can sort of summarize what's most important, and you've put it in a written format, and often what we get in writing from patients and families gets put in the chart. So that's useful. I also recommend doing it because it's a little less chaotic than whispering to the doctor in the hallway. If you talk to the doctor on the phone, what will be documented is what they choose to write down. So I feel like it's better to just put it in writing yourself. And then last but not least, by conveying this information ahead of time, you really allow the doctor to do a little thinking and preparation ahead of time. And you also free up time during the visit. And visit time is often quite limited for the doctor to focus on assessing your parent, talking to your parent, talking to both of you about the options for proceeding. And I think that just ends up serving families much better. So what should happen during the visit? Here's what should happen. I mean, variable things do happen, but this is, this is what I would consider standard of care and doable actually by just a generalist or PCP. So first and foremost, the doctor should do her own brief assessment of your parents' mental abilities. And usually we do this by talking to the person, seeing how well they talk about themselves and what's been going on, And then the doctor should also ask the person if they're having difficulty managing life tasks, especially mentally complex ones such as driving and finances. And usually I ask the patient themselves. We really want to avoid talking over an older person as if they're not there. And then I tell them, I just want to, you know, ask your son or daughter who's here if they have anything to add. So I try to ask several people and I usually do tell patients that I want to ask a few other people around them because often the people around us have noticed things that we haven't. Next, doctors should do some kind of short office based test. So I myself tend to use something that's called the mini cog. It involves asking the person to remember three items and then having them draw a clock. So that's a test that doesn't take very long and it's been well validated in research. And then I also usually ask the person if they can tell me the day of the week, the date, the month, the year, and where we are. So there are other short tests that can be used, such as the mini-mental. There's another test that I use sometimes, which is called the MOCA Montreal Cognitive Assessment Test, but those take longer. So at an initial visit, something like the mini-cog is nice and short and provides a lot of information, and so that's a good one. So also during the visit, we want to check for those many common health problems that can either cause or worsen thinking abilities in older adults. I have an article on my website that goes into these in more detail. It's called How We Diagnose Dementia, The Practical Basics. And so I'll post a link to that in the show notes. But briefly, what we want to look for are health problems such as depression, thyroid disease, vitamin B12 deficiency, electrolyte imbalances. And then especially medication side effects. Most doctors will also do at least a little bit of evaluation or a lot depending on how much time they have and the person's health history. They might look into the possibility of stroke a little bit more. So let me talk a little bit more about medications because I think they're so, so important. So you should know that quite a lot of older adults are, in fact, taking medications that slow down brain function. And that's because a lot of commonly used medications dampen brain function both In the short term, we've kind of always known that they dampen in the short term, but recent research also suggests that taking these medications often does increase one's risk for dementia or accelerates dementia. Identifying and reducing these medications is a huge part of what I do as a geriatrician, and I think it'll become more common as the whole healthcare system adapts to serving older adults. But for the time being, it's still fairly common for these medications to be overlooked when doctors are prescribing to an older adult. So I do have an article on betterhealthwhileaging.net that covers four common types of medications that you can look out for and that people should avoid if they're worried about medication. So I recommend that you take a look at that before going to the doctor and that if you notice that your parent is taking any of those, be sure to ask about them and ask whether it might be possible to try reducing them or stopping them. Generally, we don't find that medications are the only reason why an older person is having memory or thinking problems, but they can certainly make the thinking a little worse, and we want to be doing everything we can to optimize that person's brain function while we're we're looking into what's going on, and just in general. It's good to optimize a person's brain function when they're older. What's best is to bring all the medications that your parent is taking to the visit. Don't forget to bring over-the-counter medications because many of those slow down the brain as well. Benadryl would be a prime example, and that's the PM in many PM over-the-counter painkillers too. And also, don't rely on the primary care doctor having a record of what your parent is taking. The medication lists that PCPs have are often out-of-date And just the fastest and best way for a doctor to accurately assess your parents' medications is to take a look at the bottles. So I recommend you bring those. To summarize, during that visit to evaluate memory concerns, the doctor should take note of your concerns and the changes you're reporting. The doctor should take note of what daily life tasks have become problematic for the older person. They should do a short office-based cognitive test. They should review medications to make sure none of them might be affecting thinking. And then they should check for other health problems that often affect thinking. Generally, unless blood work has been done recently, it's common to order tests to check on thyroid, vitamin B12 levels, and electrolytes. The visit should end with making some kind of plan for medical follow-up. This often means planning to check in soon regarding the lab results and may include the doctor recommending your parents see a specialist for further cognitive testing or neurological evaluation. It's also fairly common for doctors to say we need to watch for a while longer and see how the symptoms progress. And that's especially true if we've made a change to medications or if we've decided to try treating for possible depression while we sort out uh, what might be going on. In fact, I would say that it's quite rare for even somebody like me who's had special training in evaluating memory problems. It's rare for even someone like me to be able to tell people for sure what's going on with the brain at a single visit. But at least we'll have gotten the ball rolling on figuring out what's going on and on trying any medication changes or other healthcare changes that can help improve the older person's thinking. So last but not least, you should know that there are a number of healthy lifestyle approaches that can help optimize an older person's brain function. Doctors may or may not get around to recommending these. They include things like getting enough sleep, avoiding too much stress, minimizing multitasking, and having plenty of positive social encounters and activities that nourish the soul. These are all things that sort of reduce stress and strain on the brain and kind of optimize it. And often in an older person who's of a certain age and maybe starting to have memory problems, doing those things can enable people to uh, feel their best and think their best. Briefly, let's talk about getting help and referrals. The doctor's visit is a good time to ask for help in addressing any safety issues or any um, sort of help needs that you think your parent might have if you've noticed they're having difficulty managing their house or their chores or their shopping or preparing their food. Depending on their situation and what kind of services they're eligible for, there might be services available to help arrange those. So it's always good to start by asking the doctor, especially if there's a social worker in the office. They're often a great source of information on what kinds of help might be available. If there's not a lot of help available at the doctor's office, then you should definitely do a little research to find other support and information resources. A good place to start is the website eldercare.gov. It has a resource directory you put in your zip code and it will help you Locate your local area agency on aging. These are local government agencies that coordinate services for older adults and families and can provide referrals. You can also look for a private senior care expert or geriatric care manager. And actually, I think geriatric care managers are now called aging life professionals. They rebranded a few years ago. These professionals are usually private pay, but they're often quite experienced and can provide more hands-on help in addressing concerns in arranging for supportive services. And also, and this can be extremely helpful to families, many of them are experienced in mediating family conversations between adult children and their parents or a bigger group to sort of help the family problem solve together and communicate more effectively. And so that can be really helpful. So that pretty much covers the basics. It's just the basics of what to do if you're worried about a parent's memory. If you do have any follow-up questions or want me to clarify something that I talked about in this episode, please visit us online at betterhealthwhileaging.net and post your question in the comments section under the show notes for this episode. Chances are that many other listeners will be wondering the same thing, so when you post your question on the site, that allows me to provide an answer that can be informative and helpful to the entire audience. Please do feel free to use your initials or even make up a name for yourself, or you can post your name as anonymous if you prefer to maintain your privacy as you post the question online. To find the show notes for this episode, go to betterhealthwhileaging.net, click podcast in the main menu at the top, and then you'll see the list of recent episodes and you can click the title for this episode and that will take you to the show notes. In closing, if you've been enjoying the show, please do help support us by subscribing to the show on iTunes. Because when you subscribe, this makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. You can also further support the show by leaving a rating or even a review in iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.